Okay, yeah, uh, so that's a big change from uh, what we've been reading over the last few weeks in terms of the book of Judges. But uh, by no means is today's topic any uh, less important or weighty. So let's go to God in prayer as we uh, ask Him to help us to understand uh, about uh, His Word to us today. So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, truly we pray that you help us to look at this passage uh, seriously and to see its uh, bigger implications to the rest of your Word and uh, how we see your word to us in the Holy Scriptures, and also for us who are reaching out to our friends, that uh, we may have greater insight into the struggles that they have, and uh, to be better able, uh, better equipped, to be able to reach out to them and to save them, and that you may work through us in this way. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, um, I'm not sure whether you've uh, read The Straits Times, but last week... Uh, on Monday, I realized that uh, there was this uh, really interesting article that came out which actually exactly fit into the sermon, right? So uh, it really uh, was a, a blessing from God. And uh, it was about um, how in Australia there was uh, some controversy about uh, whether government funds should be used to fund uh, school chaplains. But, uh, but I was reading it and there was a very interesting uh, section right, the, right at the end of the, uh, the article. I'm not sure you all look as if you can't see it. Can you see it? You can read it, right? Okay, no, you can't. How come? Huh? Okay, I'll read it for you. I'll read it for you. Okay, uh, a poll in Australia, uh, done in December 2009, found that 68% of Australians believe in God, although only 27% believe that the scriptures are literally true. Alright, so the point I wanted to bring out from this article was the 27%. Uh, that's uh, even in a, in, a, in a country like Australia, which is fairly, uh, I guess, Christianized, to, to not, not so much anymore, but only 27% of the people, of the population, that means one out of every four people, believe that you can trust the Bible as reliable, as authoritative, as uh, trustworthy in every way. And I think that's not just a reflection of uh, things in Australia, but I think it's a reflection of how modern people view the Bible. And they view the Bible with skepticism. So generally people will say, yeah, yeah, you know, you can believe, I'm sure for any of you who have been Christians for any length of time, uh, people will say, yeah, you know, the Bible has some good things to say, but you can't take all of it seriously. Okay, there's some things that uh, I, I like about the Bible, but there's some things in the Bible which I cannot agree with. Now the question that I want to pose to you, for, for those of you who take that point of view, who struggle with whether the Bible is true or not, uh, I hope to be able to explain a bit more why you should trust it. But for those of you who really trust the Bible and you have to deal with friends who ask those sort of questions, and I also hope that today's talk will help you uh, have a bit more uh, in terms of uh, your thinking about how to answer people's questions. Now, can you trust the Bible or not? Well, the first uh, reason that some people say that you can't trust the Bible is because historically, uh, they feel that it's not a historical document. Okay, I'm not sure whether you've ever heard that or anybody said that to you, but they'll say, oh, you know, things like uh, the virgin birth, or the things like Jesus walking in water. These are all legends about Jesus. You know, you know what legends are? Legends is like, uh, you know, like Thor or something, you know. It's something out of Greek mythology which someone made up somewhere and actually maybe there's a small grain of truth but then it's been blown up to expand, uh, the, you know, the truth. You know, you know what I mean? So, can we really believe the Bible to be historically true? Well, when people say that the Bible is made out of legends, I think that that's not really fair on the Bible. It's not right on the Bible. And I think many people who say they have not read the Bible for themselves. 
Because as we've seen in today's passage, the next slide, okay, this is, this is the short passage, very short passage, which was read to us by Pitai. You can see that when Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, wrote uh, Luke, he didn't write it as legend. He, right from the very beginning of his letter, stated right out front that this is not legend, but this is history. I've investigated it. Look what it says there. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. A few things to uh, note here. The first thing is right from the very, very beginning, he says that these things have happened among us. So these things are not uh, events which happen far, far away in a place which uh, no one has any capability of checking up whether these things are true, but they happen among the people. The second thing is, they were handed down by eyewitnesses, people who saw these things, not second-hand information, but eyewitnesses. Okay, if you go to the court of law, it's, it's always eyewitness testimony that counts. It is not second-hand information. Second-hand information doesn't count. It doesn't count that you heard someone else say something happened, but what counts is that you saw it. So, these, these things which are collected in the Gospel of Luke came from eyewitnesses. And Luke himself says that he's been a, a, quite a careful and thorough person. He has investigated and he has checked these things and he's writing so that you may be certain of the things that you have been taught. Now when you read the Bible for yourself, you realize that it's not written as a legend. Right? People who write legendary stuff do not give you details, do not give you names, they do not give you events and circumstances. But these are real things which have happened. And I think if you read the book of Luke, you'll see that Luke is a very careful writer and he writes uh, uh, events and he places these events in particular places so that you will know that he is grounding it in history, not somewhere out there, you know, in a place far, far away, you know, that sort of story. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is another part of the Bible, it says a very similar thing. Again, written by another author that was inspired by God, uh, the Apostle Paul. And this is what Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Uh, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one normally born. Now the point I want to draw your attention to is that at the point of writing this letter, he says that most of the, of the people who saw Jesus rise from the dead were still alive. And that's very important because that means that when when the Apostle Paul was writing, he was writing within the lifetime of people who saw Jesus rose from the dead. And it was within the lifetime of the people reading this letter who would go and check with these 500 people who saw Jesus rise from the dead. See, this is not the stuff of legends. This is historical writing. Now, imagine, uh, you all know that uh, I like playing golf, right? So imagine if, I, if, if, if uh, someone wrote this newspaper article about how Andrew Ong is as good as Tiger Woods. Okay? 
what would happen if someone read the article and said, no, like, no I've, I've seen Andrew Wong play golf, he's not as good as Tiger Woods. Right? Because it is within the community of people who've seen me play golf, it is within the time of me playing golf, and, and it's within a, uh, you know, readers who can understand who, who I am, isn't it? But if 1,000 years later someone in uh, Norway writes an article about this Andrew Ong who plays golf as good as Tiger Woods, then that would be the legend of Andrew Ong, right? Andrew Ong the legend. Because it is written without a context in reality. And that's why when people say the Bible is made out of legends, I always say to them, have you read the Bible for yourself? Because when you read the Bible, it doesn't have the ring of legend. It has the ring of history and of truth and reality. So, that's the first objection that some people have. You know, the Bible is just all legend. But the Bible is not written as legend. The Bible is written as history. Now, some people say, oh, you know, you can't trust the Bible because the Bible was written by the winners. Okay, so I'm not sure I'm, whether you read the Da Vinci Code. Okay, this is a very famous book a few years ago. And that was the main hypothesis of the Da Vinci Code. You know, that, that the Bible, you can't trust the Bible because the Bible was written by the winners, which was uh, primarily Emperor Constantine. And uh, in 325 AD, he got all these people together and they put together the Bible to, to, to show that Jesus is God so that you know, it would help his political career. And this is what uh, it was written in the Da Vinci Code. Okay, and this is what it says. Uh, I've used the page references from my Bible, not my Bible, my Divinity Code, right? Okay, it's not the Bible. The modern Bible was compiled and edited by men who possessed a political agenda. Okay, notice what it says there, right? To promote the divinity of the man, Jesus Christ, and his influence to solidify their power base. Uh, the Roman Empire, sorry, the Roman Emperor, Constantine convened the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. Until that moment in history, Jesus was viewed by his followers as a mortal prophet. Now, I know the Da Vinci Code uh, was written as a book of fiction, but the worrying thing about the Da Vinci Code is at the beginning, he, he says that all the historical facts are true. Okay, so many people actually believe that. They think, oh, okay, yeah, the Bible is not trustworthy, you know, because it's written by Constantine. It's all, you know, it's all political agenda driven but again I would like to challenge people and say you know, have you read the Bible because it's not fair in the Bible it's not correct when you say that the Bible was actually put together by Constantine and it was a politically driven thing so here if you read Philippians chapter 2 okay uh, notice what it says about the divinity of Jesus divinity means that he's God okay your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who being in very nature God, notice why he says that in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, very interesting, isn't it? Because the Bible itself says that Jesus is 
God. Verse 6. Uh, verse 11. Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, when was Philippians chapter 2 written? Because remember, Constantine wrote the Bible apparently in 325 AD, right? Well, if you look at the next slide, okay, you can see that we know that the book of Philippians latest was written 60 AD. But, in uh, Philippians chapter 2, this quote, many commentators say it's, it's, it's actually not, uh, it's not written by Paul, it's actually a song or a hymn that they used to sing, or even a creed. Because if you go, go back again, go back to Philippians chapter 2, thanks. You'll see that actually when you read it in the Bible, it's very different from the rest of Philippians. It's like, it's almost as if someone took uh, something out of the hymn book and put it in. So I'll go back to the timeline. So, here in Philippians chapter 2, written in 60 AD, is written and quoting a hymn, which was even earlier than 60 AD. So that means that it is wrong for the Da Vinci Code to say that, oh, you know, up until Emperor Constantine, the Christians never believed that Jesus was God. Because at 60 AD, Paul was already saying that there was a hymn which was sung much earlier, maybe 50 AD, 40 AD, where Christians were really singing songs or, or, or giving creeds. You know, the, you know when we sometimes come at church and we stand up and we say the Apostles' Creed? Well, they were probably saying this creed, you know, 50 AD, 40 AD in their churches already. So, you cannot say that, well, you know, the Bible is written by the winners. And the winners just made up these stories about Jesus. If you look at the rest of the Bible, next slide, uh, you'll see that I've given you two lists of... Um, Datings, right? So this is conservative dating. Uh, this is liberal dating of the New Testament. Uh, conservative means earlier to the date of Jesus dying. Uh, liberal means further away. Okay? But you'll notice that the latest date for all the New Testaments is 100 AD. Uh, Jesus died 33 AD. Okay? So that means within 70 years of Jesus, the Bible as we have it was already here. And they believe that Jesus is God. So you cannot say that the, the, the Bible was manufactured by winners who wanted to change the story for themselves. Because 200 years before Constantine she came around, or she no, 100 minus, yeah, 200 years, right, before Constantine came along, they already believed that Jesus was God and they already had the whole Bible. Now, <clears throat> we're going to have some question time later and I can tell you how uh, scholars know that when the Bible was written at various times. But, that just gives you an idea that actually the Bible was written very early, very close to Jesus' death. Uh, I mean, in the lifetime of people who saw Jesus die and rise again. And that's how they know that it was true. Now, when people say, oh, you know, the Bible was written by winners and there was an agenda to it, again, uh, my challenge to people is to say that that's not fair. And have you read the Bible? Because the Bible was not written by winners, but they were written by the persecuted people who were willing to die and to be tortured for their testimony. So if you look at this slide, uh, the next slide, okay? Look at what uh, Paul says in uh, these passages. He says in uh, Colossians chapter 4, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as his mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Philippians chapter 1. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16 May the Lord show mercy on the household of Onesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So the Bible is not written by winners, but actually by people who are willing to write in spite of persecution. We're going to be doing the book of Revelation in a few weeks' time. And uh, John uh, wrote the book of Revelation. And he said, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, Patmos uh, was this island, okay? Here. Uh, this is not Asia, as in Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, right? But this is Turkey, modern day Turkey. And the Patmos is this small island here. Next slide. Okay, this is the province of Asia Minor, Turkey today. And this is a little island, it's called Patmos. Now, why was uh, John, the writer of Revelation, on this small island? Was he having a holiday? Like, you know, maybe he went to Kalankawi for a little while, right? No, it's because he was in exile. Right. So, even the, the people who wrote the Bible at the time were writing in jail, in exile. So what they were writing for, they, they actually believed. They were willing to put their life, they were willing to lay down their life for what they wrote. So it's not Emperor Constantine who wrote the Bible, but it's actually people who were willing to suffer and to die for what they wrote, for what they believed to be the truth, what they witnessed to be the truth. Now some other people might say, well, you know, I don't have a problem with the Bible historically, but I have a problem with the Bible culturally. Because, you know, I look at the Bible, you know, and why is it the men have so many wives? Right? It's so unfair. Look, you know, who believes in polygamy anymore? Or why is it, you know, you read the Bible and God is always fighting and destroying people? Or, you know, why is it God always, you know, in those days, the oldest son is always favored? Oh, very unfair, right? Or, you know, you read the Bible and all about slavery, you know, oh, God doesn't seem to condemn slavery. Again, uh, when I hear people say that, I say, you know, have you read the Bible for yourself? Because when you actually read the Bible, you realize that whenever there was polygamy in the Bible, as in the husband married many wives, uh, it never seemed to end up very well, isn't it? So Abraham had, you know, a couple of wives. Again, it didn't end up very well. King David had many wives, also didn't end up very well. Solomon had many wives, also didn't end up very well. And you notice that God also does a funny thing. He always seems to favor the younger son and not the older son in the Bible, if you ever get a chance to read it. And when God destroys people, He seems to destroy people for a reason. Uh, God told His people to go into the promised land because uh, of their sin and their evil. Uh, they used to practice human sacrifice. They used to burn their own children. And God said that they must be punished. Now the problem of slavery is an issue that many people bring up. They say, oh, you know, how can you believe in the Bible when the Bible seems to condone slavery? But I think again, we must read the Bible. Because when we think of slavery, what do we think of? Black slavery in, you know, in America. Right? We think of this sort of slavery. Okay, that sort of slavery. But then when you think of slavery in uh, Jesus' time, actually it's a very different sort of slavery, you know. 
according to research done, the slaves in those days were not recognizable by skin color or their race or their social class. In fact, at one point in time, uh, the finance minister for parts of the Roman Empire was a slave. Okay? And apparently, slaves were never slaves for very long. They, they could earn good money and they could buy themselves out of slavery. Okay? So, when we think of slaves, when we, have, when we think of slaves, it is not that, that sort of terrible slavery which we think of in, in America in the 19th and 18th century. And the interesting thing is, when faced with the slavery of the ancient world, um, the, 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 the Bible writers said, you know, if you can be free, be free, but it's, it's not a big deal. But when the Christians were faced with the black slavery of the modern world, they said, well, this must be stopped. And they enacted re- legislation to actually stop this sort of slavery. So, many times when people have problems with the Bible, my advice to you is to encourage them to read the Bible. Read the Bible for themselves. And when they come to things that they don't understand or they struggle with, then ask, you know, talk to them about it, then they will see over time that the Bible is reliable. Many times when people have objections to the Bible, it's what they hear, what they think, all these things that they think about, which are actually not very true at all. Now one way I want to help you to think about it is that how can we know God if we don't trust the Bible? Okay, well, how can we really know God if we don't trust the Bible? Now, who had the closest relationship to God? Uh, Jesus, isn't it? So if people agree that Jesus lived, but they don't agree with the Bible, then you say, well, what is Jesus' attitude to the Bible? Did Jesus say that you can know God without the Bible? No, he doesn't, isn't it? So what are some ways that people have to try to know God without the Bible? Well, uh, one is to, to turn to some sort of spiritual guru, isn't it? Uh, some sort of uh, uh, you know, spiritual leader or the teachings of a particular church or the organization. But what does Jesus say about the teachings of men? or spiritual gurus, or leaders, and, 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 and not trusting God's word. Well, this is what he says in Matthew chapter 15. Jesus replied, Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever help you might otherwise have received from me, is a gift devoted to God, he is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, their teachings are but rules taught by men. So what was happening here? Well, basically the situation is, let's say you have a BMW, or a house, or an HDB flat, whatever, and you have aged parents. The Bible says very clearly, the Ten Commandments says, you must honor your parents, and you must, in, by honoring them, but you must help take care of them in your old age, isn't it? But, uh, in those days, the spiritual leaders or the spiritual gurus had said, well, you know, if you dedicate these things, your car, your house, to the temple or the church, you don't have to use it to honor your parents. But, from what we understand from history, even though I dedicate it to the temple today, it doesn't mean I give it, you know, I can keep it for a couple of years, 
who knows how long before I actually physically give it to the church. So, it was actually an excuse for people to keep all their things for themselves and not use it to, to help their parents. But Jesus says that when you follow the teachings of people, instead of listening to God's word and trusting God's word, it's not pleasing to God, is it? That's what it says there in verse 8 and 9. They are but rules taught by men. See, I don't know about you, but uh, one of my hobbies is to go to YouTube. Actually, uh, that's one of the few things I like about internet, like the YouTube, right? And uh, I don't know whether this is very legal or not, but you see, I like listening to music. But YouTube is really good because you can listen to music without buying the album. So, you know, you, you, you search for some rare song that you haven't heard for a long time. And wow, you know, all these songs come out. But sometimes what happens is you search for some rare song and, and, and instead of the original coming out, you have all these other people with their interpretations of their song. You know, they're sitting in their bedrooms, playing their guitar badly and singing badly into, the, into their microphone, right? This, destroying the favorite song that you remember from your youth. And, and that's what Jesus is saying, isn't it? Because if you trust the teachings of man instead of trusting the Bible, then it's like hearing someone's poor interpretation of what is the original. And Jesus says, you should go back to the original, you should go back to Scripture, to God's Word, and listen to that, and not to the teaching of man. So, you can't know God through an institution or a spiritual guru, you must go back to God's Word. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, some other people, they'll say, yeah, yeah, you know, I believe in God, which a lot of Australians do, apparently, according to the survey. But I don't really believe that God's Word is, is found in the Bible. Uh, some people say, oh, you know, it's just some good things in the Bible. I like the Ten Commandments, but uh, I don't like the thing about virgin birth. I, I like this part about the Bible, but I don't like what it says about sexual morality. I like the Bible, but I don't like this thing about everybody, you know, who doesn't believe in Jesus going to hell. I think that's really unfair. You know, some people say that. You know, they'll say, what about this person that I know? They're a good person. Why is it they, they're not saved? So the Bible cannot be true. But the problem is that that's not really an intellectual problem. But I think the Bible says and analyzes it as a heart problem. As a heart problem. See, I like uh, this illustration that this pastor Tim Keller used before. Apparently there's this old movie, I watched some of it but it was a bit boring, called The Stepford Wives. Okay, I don't know whether you've seen it but it's quite an interesting movie. It's about how in the in this town in America, they have all these people have perfect wives. Right? They're perfect. And you know why they're perfect? Because they're all robots. Okay? They all have a microchip. They never argue with their husband. They're always obedient. They never say anything bad. They never nag. All that stuff, right? They're... So, and this guy said that, look, you know, why is it people don't like to take all the Bible and say that they will follow it? Because they want a Stepford God. They want a robot God who never argues with them, never troubles them, and never nags at them. And that's true, isn't it? Because the Bible says that it's not an intellectual problem that we reject parts of the Bible, but it's a heart problem. In Romans chapter 8, verse 6, it says this, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
So it is not the intellect that is a problem, that it, it is the heart that is a problem. And, and, and I think many times when you say to people, really, really at the heart of it, if, if you, you know, if, God could, if I could show you that this is true, would you still follow it? People say no, because the heart is rebellious. Now that doesn't mean that we never use our mind to understand the Bible. But it is the attitude of using our mind to the Bible. We must come to God's Word and seek to sit under God's Word and to understand it. Not sit over God's Word and decide what we don't like about it and eliminate and move, remove it from the Bible. You know, get our liquid paper and start liquid paping things from the Bible. No, that doesn't work, right? We sit under God's Word and try to understand what it means and how it applies to our life. So in Isaiah chapter 66, uh, God says, uh, This is the one I esteem. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You see, notice there, the person is humble. He's contrite. That means he's, he, 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 he's not arrogant, right? Stiff neck. And he trembles at God's word. He respects God's word. We can use our logic and our mind, but we must, we must allow God's word to sit over us and not for us to sit over God's word. Now, if we cannot know God by our logic, we cannot know God by some institution or spiritual person, guru. Some people say we can find God through our experiences. Okay, so I remember reading that, you know, you really want to find God. You go to a really quiet place. Like maybe, you know, you go to the treetop walk and you walk off to the jungle for a little while and you, you sit there in the quiet and you meditate and you can find God. Okay, uh, before the mosquitoes come and get you, like, you, will find, you will find more of God there, right? Or some people say, you know, when you go to a concert and you hear really good music, you, you feel really close to God. Or even some people say, you know, when you have sex or something, you, know, you can experience this like, overwhelming emotions. You can, you can know, experience God. But the problem is the Bible never sees it that way. See, he never, God never says you can find God through experience. In fact, uh, the Bible, actually Jesus, again, Jesus had a, 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 the closest relationship to God. He says, look, you know, you, you cannot know God through your experiences. This is what he says, right, um, to people who feel that by religious experience, they somehow gain good points of God, brownie points of God. So Matthew chapter 7, it says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of God, will of my Father, who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So, here are people who have extraordinary spiritual experiences. I mean, what is sitting in the forest to enjoy the quiet compared to driving out demons and doing miracles? I mean, that, is, that will give you a buzz for a long time. But Jesus says, look, it doesn't matter to me whether you can do all these things. Right? What matters to me is doing God's will. But how do you know God's will? God's will is found in God's word, the Bible, the scriptures. Again, Jesus says uh, in 2 Thessalonians, or God says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. See, 
a lot of spiritual experiences are dubious, right? You don't know whether they're good experiences or bad experiences. Uh, you know, let's say I started vomiting now. That, that, that's an experience, a spiritual experience. Is that a good one or is that a bad one? Is it reflective of God? Who knows, isn't it? Uh, but then if I started laughing, jumping around, is that another spiritual experience? Nobody knows, I might be just mad. Okay? And Jesus says, or God says through, uh, through the Bible, that actually what really counts is not doing all these signs and wonders. What really counts is the truth, loving the truth. And again, where is the truth? The truth is found in God's Word, the Bible. You cannot find the truth by experience. You cannot feel what is true. You only know the truth because God tells you it's true. Now, you would think that uh, the disciples, they were the people who really knew God after Jesus, right? Because they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they lived with Jesus, and they ate with Jesus. But even the disciples, they needed God's word to know God and to know Jesus. After Jesus had been crucified and he rose from the dead, he met up with the disciples on the road and he said to his disciples this, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. See, even the disciples, the, the twelve apostles who walked with Jesus and talked with Jesus and ate with Jesus and lived with Jesus, they were lacking in knowing the person of Jesus and knowing God's plan. Why? Because they didn't understand the scriptures. They didn't understand God's word in the Bible. So, if even the apostles needed to understand God's word, then how much more we will need to? You cannot know Jesus, you cannot know God through experience, through some institution or some spiritual guru. You cannot do it by logic, but only by God's word. So in conclusion, I became a Christian when I was about uh, 21 years old. Uh, and I remember all that happened to me was someone came to uh, meet up with me every week and we read the Bible. And by reading the Bible, I became more and more and more convinced of the truth of the Bible. And I was convicted of who Jesus was. And uh, I was unwillingly, right? I remember reluctantly, uh, in my own heart, forced to give up all the objections I had. And I became a Christian. Because God spoke to me through His Word. So if you cannot believe that the Bible is God's word, then my encouragement to you, or your friends who have doubts that way, is to keep asking them to read God's word, and to explain to them, and to show them, look, this is history, this is true, you can believe this. And God's word will do its work by itself. Now, um, today is a special day, because we obviously ended a bit earlier. <laughs> also, some people have said, you know, look, because of this topic, we're not looking at a particular section of the Bible, um, whether we can have some question times about um, the reliability of the Bible, because obviously there's a lot more to be said on this issue. So um, I'd like to ask if anybody has any questions about uh, the reliability of the Bible. Now usually when I say this, nobody will say anything, right, because everybody's very shy. But if you do have any questions, then you know, 
you know, just put out your hand and, and ask something, and then uh, I'll give you about 10 or 15 minutes of question time. I've got material prepared already, so um, I can also refer to it. So, any questions? Oh, good, okay. Kim Lam. Okay, so uh, can you all hear the question uh, that Kim Lam asked? So some people say, you know, they struggle with uh, uh, the first uh, two chapters of Genesis. I say, oh no, is, is, is uh, this account at odds with dinosaurs, creation, science, uh, the length of time, the number of generations that there are, you know, because if you add all the generations, well, not very long time, right? Okay, so I think that... Um, uh, a few points that I'd like to make. Uh, I'll turn off the aircon first because it's quite cold. Sorry. Okay, um, a few points. First of all, I think that if you actually read Genesis chapter 1 to 2, it, it doesn't specifically uh, say that you must believe in a literal seven-day creation. Okay, I think the, the, the literature of uh, Genesis, the literature of the Bible, can be read in different ways. Uh, just like in other parts of the Bible, 1 Thessalonians says uh, to God, one day is like a thousand years, right? So, if you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you don't necessarily have to reach a conclusion, okay, God made the world in seven days, and, and, and this is exactly 24 hour days of 60 minutes each. Okay? It's, it can actually be read in terms of how did God organize or structure the world, and 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 fill the world in an orderly way. Okay, so there, there are many Christians, I've read Christian scientists as well, who, who believe in, in an evolutionary process, but God uh, is the one who is the moving force between evolution, because uh, really when you look at science, it actually says that um, they have never been able to do an experiment where you can create life uh, out of no life, you can get inert, you know, you know, it's in lifeless stuff and you keep injecting it with electrical impulses or whatever but you'll never be able to create life because you, you, you know, it's hard for you to go up the evolutionary tree because there's one, one scientific principle which actually says that the, the world is moving towards disorder not, not order but that's all science right so by looking at the Bible itself um, the first objection is that okay what about creation and everything I think it, you can still believe in evolution and you can still believe in Genesis chapter 1 to 2. And I think that uh, the second thing about the length of time, right? So what about all the generations? How come all the generations, when you add it all up, it is actually shorter than by a long way of the history of, 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 of mankind or life or whatever? Well, actually, if you look at uh, uh, the genealogy, the way that genealogies are actually made in the olden days, uh, it's very possible that they actually skip generations and they only focus on the important ones. Okay, so like, it's, it's a bit like, you know, think, think of it this way, like, you know, imagine they, they made a genealogy of my family, and they think, oh, you know, the Andrew Wong, he wasn't very important, so we'll skip him. You see, it's that sort of thing. So, it, it, the Bible is never meant to be read that way. Okay, you know, we have all these uh, people, so that means we work backwards, and we assume they live a certain amount of time, and therefore, this is the history of the world, you see. Because I think that the we must be more sophisticated in understanding the literature of the Bible that uh, we, we're not sure whether we're meant to read Genesis in a literal way because actually when you read Genesis chapter 1 to 2 at that point in time it, it doesn't actually say that you know, this is the way we're supposed to read it in a, in a literal scientific way but then when you read the rest of Genesis 
it becomes more and more historical, you see, because you have distinct people who are doing distinct things, who are doing things. So, that's how I'll explain it. Any other questions? Yeah. Okay, but that's not really a, a question of the Bible, because uh, the, the, what the Bible says is the people before Jesus, they, they actually follow um, the Old Testament, and they actually trust that God will send someone like Jesus to actually ultimately save and pay uh, for their sins. Uh, yeah. Andrew? Oh, you can't hear the question. But I've already given the answer. Uh, so, huh? <laughs> okay. Um, any other questions? Yeah, great. Oh, okay, that's a very good point. Okay, I, I was hoping someone asked that question because that's why I, I did all my research, right? Oh, someone asked uh, about how the 66 books of the Bible came together because I actually prepared for that question, right? Okay, now, this. Okay, you might ask uh, in the earlier slide, how do we know that all the, you know, all the, made, all the books of the Bible were written by 100 AD? Okay? Uh, the reason is because uh, after the generation of the first apostles died out, there were these, the next generation called the early church fathers. Okay? And they wrote as well many, many books. And uh, in those books, they, they would quote uh, the books of the Bible that we have. You know, Luke, John... Uh, Revelation, all that sort of stuff. In fact, um, based on, if we just had the writings of the early church fathers and the other next generation who kept quoting from the Bible, we would have enough information for our New Testament already. So, in the early days, um, if you follow the book of Acts, because actually, one of the major, major things which make us believe the Bible is true is, okay, people say, where is the external evidence for Jesus Christ apart from the Bible? Right? Then you, you have... Uh, Roman historians, Tacitus, you have Josephus, who actually quote about the existence of Jesus and some of the things that he did. So you know that, okay, historically Jesus existed. But when you look at the Bible, when you refer to extra biblical sources, you also know that a lot of the events which are referred to in the Bible are confirmed by external sources, Roman sources, Jewish sources, like, you know, uh, people like uh, Pilate or just random people that the Bible just meets in the Bible during the reign of somebody and they say, yeah, yeah, this, this happened during this reign or there was, a, there was a famine and you read some other, you know, historian somewhere, yeah, yeah, there was a famine at that time. So, if, if we believe that we can confirm all these things in the Bible, then we know that, okay, uh, the Bible is historical because all these other parts are being confirmed outside. So, anyway, coming back to your question, so how did the 66 form? Now, early on already, uh, many of the Christian writers would actually write, um, because what happened was the church exploded out of uh, the, uh, Jerusalem, and they went to all parts of the world, and people used to meet like this for church. And uh, they used to read the Bible. But in those days, they didn't have photocopiers or printers. So people always made all these uh, copies, and a lot of the Christian writers would always be writing commentaries or, or like, you know, correspondences to all these far-flung churches saying, you know, this, we, we, can, we can trust this book or this part of this book is, you know, has this lesson in it. So by about 100 AD you know, to 200 AD, uh, the early Christian writers, the early church fathers were already saying, oh, these are all the books of the Bible that can be trusted. And 
it was, you know, it is not right to say that it was only in 325 AD that all the books of the Bible came together because even before that, uh, the early Christian fathers had already said these are the books of the Bible that can be recognized. Yeah. But if you go back beyond the New Testament to the Old Testament, we're not really sure how the Old Testament came together. But for us as Christians, because Jesus says in various parts of the Gospels that you know, not a single word would drop out and everything of the Scriptures, the Old Testament, then we know that actually, from Jesus' point of view, the Old Testament that they received, that we receive now, is actually reliable. Mm. Yeah. And um, I think when um, they found uh, uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls, it, it actually gave us even more confidence because they found that when they compared the Dead Sea Scrolls to the Bible that we already have, there was uh, almost no errors, I suppose. Because uh, in those days when the Jews, when they actually copied the thing, they were very, very, very serious. Yeah. It's not like uh, in primary school where people are copying stuff. You know, they were very serious about it. They were, they were, they were professional scribes. Like basically, your job was to be a walking, living photocopier. Like. Every day you'd just be writing down and copying things. Mm. Okay, any other questions? Yeah, Eugene? Okay, I think uh, okay, the question that Eugene has, how do you know that actually God uh, is involved in the process of writing the Bible and that uh, these human people who he worked through didn't make mistakes? Which is a good question. And I think that there are two ways of approaching that question. The first way is actually to say, look, if God uh, could, could, uh, is God and he's so great and powerful, he creates everything and he, he actually... Um, controls history to allow all these events to happen so that his son will die and on the, exactly on the Passover and rise again in three days. That means God controls people. God controls the world. Okay, that's, that's the concept of God. If you believe in that sort of God, then you can believe that he will be able to get 66 books together through people and uh, speak to them. But I think that the, the other way of looking at it as well is that when you look at, again, that's why reading the Bible is so important, right? Because when you read the Bible, the authors of the Bible themselves recognize that their writings are actually inspired uh, by God. So I think, uh, I think it's Peter somewhere where it says, you know, Paul's writing is a bit hard to understand, but you know, people try to distort it as they do other scripture. So that means that when, when, the, when the writers themselves write and refer to each other, the apostles, they actually recognize that their writings are special. And uh, apparently, when you read the Bible, and you know many times you say, make sure that this letter is read, right? The public reading of this letter. We, we kind of read it and we think, oh, what's the big deal, right? But it's actually very, very important because in the early days, only the Old Testament could be read in uh, the gatherings of the church. To, to say that my letter is read in the church at the same time as the Old Testament is to say that my, my letter is of the same authority as, as, as the Old Testament uh, you know, that, that's been actually given to us. So, I think the two, the two ways is that if you believe that Jesus is who He says He is and believe that you know, God is who He is, then He will have the power to be able to, um, to give us his inspired word, because he works through people. But also, the, when you look at the New Testament, uh, the writers themselves recognize that they are inspired by God to write in a particular way. 
Um, you look at the, okay, we're going to be doing the book of Revelation, so I'm almost thinking about Revelation now. Okay, but if you look at the book of Revelation, I mean, John is very clear. You know, look, uh, anybody who removes any part of this or adds any part of this, may he be eternally condemned. You know? So I mean, you, you don't talk like that unless you feel that you, God is actually speaking directly through you, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, that, and that's why uh, the Bible is only restricted to those 66 because in those days, the early church fathers, they recognized that these, these writings by these particular apostles were, were special. And, and also, if you look at the book of Acts, don't forget that God actually, sorry, Jesus actually commissions these people particularly to speak on his behalf uh, when, they, when, they, when, they, you know, when he, Jesus goes up to heaven and when they spread out and he commissions uh, the apostle Paul as well. Mm. Oh, okay. I think uh, what uh, Singh is saying is uh, the Roman Catholic Church has uh, this thing called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha, right? So the Apocrypha is um, what was written. Okay, you have the Old Testament, then you have what you call the intertestamental period, right? So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was this period. And during this time, they had uh, different uh, other people who wrote. Now, the, the Jews themselves. Uh, did not recognize these books to be authoritatively um, given by God, but what they said was it was it was helpful to be to be read lah. It was it was you know it's just edifying. So I think that the 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 the, uh, the Protestant Christians felt that well we should follow what the Jewish people said. So, you know you know read it. That's fine by you, but it's not actually uh, authoritative. So actually I've got a. Uh, a new NRSV, a new Revised Standard Version Bible, which actually has the Apocrypha in it. But, but you know, it is not seen as God's Word from the Jewish point of view. If the Jews themselves don't see it as God's Word, then uh, neither, neither should we, I think. Mm. Yeah. Oh, okay, there was a, another newspaper article last week, if you read the newspaper, about between the Far East Bible School and the Bible Presbyterian Church using that building. And I think that the, the, the argument was whether the King James Version would be the authoritative version of, uh, of a translation. Okay? Now, actually, the authoritative version is the Greek and the Hebrew. Lah, when you really think about it, because that's the original language. A- any translation uh, ha- will have trade-offs. It's just life, right? When you translate something, you will never be able to translate exactly what it means, but you will get most of it the same. So whenever you translate... There are always two choices you have to make. You have to decide whether you want to be as literal as possible or you want to be as comprehensible as possible. So if you were as literal as possible, then you are not as understandable. Right? Imagine you translate Chinese into direct English. It, it just doesn't make sense. My Chinese is not very good, so I can't give you an illustration. right? <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? And the same thing, but then if you want to make it understandable, then the more... I have to make my own input and interpret it for you so that you can understand what it means, correct? So, when you have a whole spectrum of it, uh, the Good News Bible, or the message by Eugene Peterson, that is the most understandable, but you can see that the, the author is taking a lot of liberties with making, it, making choices for you. Lah. He's made the choice for you, right, to tell you what he, what he thinks the passage means. But then, the, you know, if you go all the way to the other side, maybe the uh, New American Standard Bible, that's probably more literal. But then when you read it, it's like very stilted, right? Like, not flowing, you know, like, it's not something, you know, sometimes you, you pray the Lord's Prayer, right? It's like, you know, thy will be done, on, you know, on earth, in heaven. It's like, you know, like quite poetic, right? But when you read the New Standard, American Standard Bible, it's like not poetic at all. It's like, it sounds like, 
really weird, right? Okay. So, the King James Version uh, was the early version, you know, a long time ago, and then there's New King's Version. But I think why people, um, modern scholars, feel that the King James Version is not so good is because it doesn't use the, 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 the most latest um, uh, archaeological evidence that we have about the Bible, you see. So, the reality is that we do not, ha- there is not sitting somewhere in a museum somewhere around the world the original Gospel of Luke. And we do not have any original part of the Bible. All we have is thousands, literally tens of thousands of copies of the Bible or copies of what someone else has written and quoted the Bible. So what people do is, to get the Bible together, they will look at all these copies and, and then they will see, okay, where, where is that the most common thing and where is it, where is it uh, most obviously wrong? Right, so, to give you an idea of how they do it, so, okay, let's say I give all of you um, uh, an original manuscript to copy by hand. And then you copy it and bring it to wherever you live in Singapore and you get other people to copy it. And after one year, we bring it all back together and then we see whether we can find the original or not. Uh, if you have enough copies, you can find the original because some of you will be quite careless and you will make a lot of mistakes. But then some of you will be very careful and, and, and we'll be able to see that, okay, where all the mistakes are and where the, where the originals are. Okay, so, so when you actually look at the Bible, we don't have that original one, right? So, so you can't actually say that, okay, the King James Version is the best because actually the King James Version still uses the older stuff. But the newer versions always use uh, as much as the, 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 you know, the stuff that we find that we can. But the good thing is, uh, I think only like 0.5% of the Bible is actually in, uh, uh, is disputable. But none of it uh, is actually affecting any major point of doctrine or any uh, truth in the Bible. Yeah. So that's why when you go to say like the last part of Mark, right? Mark chapter 16. Okay, the Bible is very um, serious about finding out the truth. So that's why the Bible tells you in Mark chapter 16 that some of the earliest manuscripts do not have this section. Because they want to be truthful to you. Truth is very important, isn't it? Um, and, and actually, when I went to theological college and I learned all about this, and I learned about how we are supposed to learn about all these things and find out. Actually, in my Greek Bible, at the bottom there, there's actually a reference for... for each section saying A rating, right? The strongest translation. Okay, B rating. This is uh, disputed. So then, actually, you know, I saw reading. I think you know, a bit disturbing, right? Because you got all these ratings sometimes. But the thing is, the reality is actually, as Christians, we are very serious about finding out what's right about the Bible. See, but for us as Christians, we're always digging up documents all the time, which is telling us with more and more certainty what the Bible says, um, and. Uh, and that's why you, you can't really say there's, there's the, the authoritative English translation because, um, I mean, as, as much as we know, this is, we, we are very, very, uh, you know, we're almost 99.99% certain this is what we have already. But translation itself will always be a translation. Mm. Okay, but it's all. Oh, one last question. I think that that's a very good question. So, um, Nora asked, why is it uh, other, why is it Christians 
interpret the Bible differently. Okay? I think that when you come together and we are serious about the Bible, and we're serious about looking at the Bible together, we will agree on uh, a lot of things, on the major things. Because that's what the Bible clearly says. I mean, for God so loved the world, He sent His Son to die for us. You know, this is like, what can you argue about, right? It's all there. But if you're you're serious about the Bible, there's only a certain restricted, limited way of interpreting most passages of the Bible, if you're serious about it. And that's where you look at what the whole Bible is saying, the context of the passage, and, and, and actually looking at what the passage is saying seriously. I think that the problem that we have is a lot of people are not serious about looking at the Bible uh, and, and, and being uh, real about it, but they are taking liberties with what the Bible is saying and, 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 and putting things in which, which it, it doesn't mean. And the, the problem for us is that um, that's why we have to be serious about studying the Bible. See, Because don't forget, when Jesus was tempted in the desert, by Satan, right? For 40 days. What did Satan do? He used the Bible and misinterpreted the Bible to try to tempt Jesus. So, just because it's God's Word doesn't mean that you can't fiddle around with it, play with it, and do bad things with it, isn't it? So, that's why when you come to the Bible, actually, in all honesty, really, that, that when you read it carefully and seriously, um, you can say, okay, there can be a range of meanings. Maybe one, two, three. And those range of meanings are allowed within the Bible, that, that particular section of the Bible. But everything else, you know, D, F, G, that's completely uh, not, not acceptable. Mm. So, there are some things which Christians will always disagree. So, I remember reading this really helpful uh, article. We said that actually, there are three levels of Christian disagreement. And uh, really, some of them we can live with. Okay, so someone said, okay, let's say there's a class three disagreement. Do you believe that Jesus, you know, in pre-millennialism or a-millennialism or post-millennialism, right? Do you believe that Jesus is going to come then as one thousand year reign? And it's like, okay, so that's a that's a class three, right? You see, you know, you can still be in fellowship. You can still consider yourself saved. You can still be brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, right? Because the Bible itself seems to give you enough room for for doubt. Okay, but then there's some other areas where, okay, maybe a class 2 disagreement where, okay, baptism. What sort of baptism should we have? You know, infant baptism or baptism like the Baptists believe when you become a Christian, but in a sense, that's a bigger a bigger thing, right? But then the problem is happens when you have a class A disagreement, where there's things that are very clear in the Bible. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, right? Salvation is only through Jesus Christ. Once you reach that point, the Bible is, you, you, you stepped outside the Bible already and you cannot have fellowship anymore because you've you stepped outside what the Bible clearly says. Right? So, um, I think, again, it's the problem of the heart, la, not the problem of the mind. If you really put your mind to it, you understand it. You know, there are only a certain amount of uh, explanations that you can accept. Mm.